so much, uh, Kim, for being with me today on the Wave Capital's guest speaker series on relationship building and a team environment. You're my 12th guest on this podcast. So happy for you to be here. And you're a fellow Tar Heel, which makes it even more exciting to have you on. Uh, Kim, when you think of relationship building, what does that definition mean to you? You know, first, congratulations on 12 episodes, and it's always my pleasure to connect with fellow Tar Heels. It's such an amazing campus, an amazing school, and, you know, go Heels this coming year, um, and thank you for the opportunity. So, you know, for me, you know, building relationships is about finding a common ground and having to, you know, engage with somebody on a level where you really get to know them, and it's not just transactional, you know, especially today's age where we have so many virtual meetings, ten, things tend to be transactional in nature. And the real innovation that happens in business, mm -hmm. in my belief, happens when you have those stronger social bonds and a sense of a greater purpose, instead of it just being transactional. So, so for me, relationships are key. They have been throughout my career. Um, I've been fortunate to have people that have been everything from a, you know, my if you have, if, if, if your relationships are like circles in a bullseye, right, you've got the people who are your most near and dear, the people you turn to or you show your raw emotions, the next level out tends to be people more, you might call them acquaintances, people that maybe are in your social or your, you know, professional circles. And then you've got, you know, the next level out are people that you just sort of maybe connected on LinkedIn, met once at a conference. Those, so you've got all these different levels of relationships and I'm a people person. So I really enjoy uh, connecting. And I just think that that's where where we've come, as we come out of COVID, this opportunity to re-engage in those different levels instead of just transactional is, you know, I'm kind of excited about it. And when you mention all of these different, you know, communicative type of styles of how you come across people, I mean, was an adjustment for you, you know, coming into the pandemic like the rest of us, or were you able to adapt, you know, quickly? So that's a great question. And I, at the time, I'm currently, um, executive vice president with the Miami Heat. And I just returned in July after having been with the Golden State Warriors for two amazing years. Um, that, and so I joined them six months before the pandemic in order to open Chase Center. Um, and I, I tell you all of that because where I was matters a lot. And so being based in San Francisco, you know, right in the heart of um, the tech world, I would say, we made a really uh, swift, easy pivot to virtual meetings because it's sort of technology is embraced. You start with solving problems from a technology. So the organization there, we pivoted easily and quickly. We had all the right tools. People were very comfortable using technology. And so it was very easy to remain productive at a really high level. And it, you know, the COVID required a lot of different types of conversations, the prolonged ambiguity and complexity of the situation, especially in the sports world where large events, we were the first to shut down and we are still only now, you know, 18, almost 20 something months later, getting back to having full buildings, right? It's taken a lot. And so those, that complexity, ambiguity that um, required different types of communication styles. And so, my time in San Francisco was, well, I very much valued it um, and it mattered that we were ready and able. And then when we went into COVID, the conversation styles, the topics that we had to have, the 
Ooh, I know we're all a little tired from it, um, especially in the sports world. But now back in Miami, Miami is a different culture um, and it is much more um, relationship based than San Francisco. It's not to say one is better than the other. It's just different. And the, and the basic difference is here in Miami, when you greet a stranger, you probably will kiss them on the cheek. It's just a cultural thing. In San Francisco, that is not, and most of the rest of the US, that is not how you meet a stranger. So it's it's been interesting because you pivot according to the culture because it has an impact on how you communicate as well. And uh, it's just been fascinating time uh, for all of us. I'm glad we're sort of at the, at the um, you know, we're not in the beginning, we're not in the middle. I would tend to hope that we're, you know, heading toward living with COVID, right? I don't know that we cure COVID. I'm not a doctor, but um, I'm glad to see us moving back to, because we can start thinking about how that goes forward. Um, and for us here in Miami, we went from being strictly in-person work environment to now we're hybrid. You can work from home, you can work in the office. We have a game tonight, that's why I'm all dressed up. Um, so it's, it's required a different type of communicating and it's required all of us to level up our skills in order to meet the moment. Well, well said, I mean, every city that has an NBA franchise or even any other of the three major professional American sports and other sports that, you know, we watch throughout the year, everybody's had to adjust depending on what state or city mm -hmm. or, you know, local areas, what those laws are dictates, right? And so when you think about, you know, your early days at Carolina and then graduating from there and talking about maybe the relationship building you did at your you know, college years, um, did you ever think that you were going to be, you know, working for two powerhouse professional sports teams like the Miami Heat and the Golden State Warriors? And just talk to me about, you know, the, your early part of your career and how that took shape. Yeah, I appreciate that. So I think leadership matters in your career. And for me, I've been so fortunate to be around great leaders my entire career. And it started at Carolina. I was in the um, sports information office as a student um, assistant. And that had me around um, Rick Brewer at the time and, and the folks that run the sports information department. And they taught me a lot, right? So when you graduate from the journalism school at Carolina, you sort of understand how to communicate. And then you go into and have that opportunity um, to learn from some of the best. And Rick Brewer taught me a lot about the sports world and the sports industry and Carolina, the J school at the time was what it was called, taught me a lot about how to communicate. So I, I, it was joining these two things and watching some of the best people in the business do it and having that up close um, view of how they're conducting themselves was amazing. And then you, you take that and I, my first job was at the University of Miami and Dennis Erickson was the head coach at the time. And we won a national championship, I think it was 92. And so then again, you're around like a high performing sports team and you sort of see how they set priorities, what they focus on after a devastating loss, how do you recover from this, right? So I just had this front row seat behind, you know, the back of house look at how people handled these situations and it really informed me. And then my biggest break was uh, when I joined the Miami Heat and I was in the PR department and I was traveling with the team and I was hired one month before Pat Riley was hired. Wow. And then I spent the first four years traveling, the only woman traveling with the team um, on the team plane. And I didn't travel every game. I, wanted, I don't wanna overstate it, but to have Pat, to have Alonzo Mourning, it was during those infamous Knicks heat rivalries. Yeah. So, so to, to be 
in and around Pat when he was, you know, still very much an active head coach and to see how he would handle situations with the players and then how he would handle what he said to the media in order to, he understood very much his audience. He right. understood what to say and he understood how to connect that bridge to make sure that he didn't, um, you know, he didn't disrupt one or the other. And here's the best example of that. So Alonzo Mourning had played a game and he, he played poorly and he, 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 I think he got in a fight. Let's, I think that was it. I don't remember exactly. My job at the end of the game was to go over down to Pat's hall, his office, knock on his door and, and then escort him to the media interview room because they're different in every venue. So wow. I do that, you know, Alonzo had gotten ejected and it was going to have a big impact on the rest of our season. And so I go knock on the door and Pat comes out and I hand him the stats, the score, um, the scorecard from the um, event. And he's walking down the hall and he's looking at it. And he's saying during this, he's saying, gosh, Alonzo didn't do this. And Alonzo didn't do that. And Alonzo didn't, and Alonzo didn't, and Alonzo didn't, right? And you could tell he was really disappointed about what Alonzo did. We turn into the interview room. Pat sits down in front of the media. And the first words out of his mouth were, Alonzo was a warrior tonight. And I was like, wait a minute. You just, you just complained about Alonzo coming down the hallway. And it taught me so much about watching Pat because he knew if he said to the media, you know, his thoughts about Alonzo's poor performance, that was only going to make Alonzo feel bad about himself, right? So I learned in this, I was in my 20s. Right. And I'm seeing this. Interesting. Right? It was amazing. So, so and, and then it goes on and on, I, you know, working here at the Heat, working, I have an amazing president, um, Eric Woolworth here, who has been a great leader. And then the reason I went to San Francisco was to open Chase Center but also to work with Rick Welts, who's in the NBA um, Hall of Fame as mm -hmm. a sports executive. Though you don't right. get a lot of those, those people. It's usually right. players and coaches. So I had that opportunity and I didn't want to pass that up. Sure. Because I'm a Hall of Famer. So I, I did that and enjoyed it. So to me, leadership matters because you get to see how, to your point, Garrett, about how they conduct themselves, who they, how they, what they say, words matter. So I've been really lucky. I'm so fortunate. And um I've enjoyed it. So it's a long answer to your question, but I hope I covered it well. No, that that's amazing. I wanted to talk to you more about, you know, what made you want to transition from the heat to the Warriors and then back to the heat. Now you answered why you did go to the Warriors. And I'm sure, you know, it was bittersweet, you know, to leave the Warriors after yeah. only being there for two years, but then getting to come back to a familiar place like the heat. And you can definitely, I want to hear, you know, about that thought process and, you know, the relationships that you built, you know, and continue to build uh, in the NBA. But you mentioned about Pat Riley, and it's interesting because you got to see firsthand, and this was when you said you're in your 20s, that how he, you know, wanted to make sure that his star player was in the most favorable light with the media because he knows that, you know, emotions run high and it's not indicative of his character. And to your point, it makes perfect sense. You want the media to understand the attributes that a coach like Pat Riley, a Hall of Fame coach like Pat Riley, you know, can appreciate because the media probably can, you know, read between the lines and know that Alonzo was emotional, but he didn't want that to, you know, he didn't want that to, you know, dictate the narrative. So I just found it to be interesting. And then you talk about the infamous rivalry in the late nineties with the heat and the Knicks because Pat Riley had coached the Knicks prior to coming to mm -hmm. the heat. So did he ever mention, do you recall him ever mentioning and like, you know, what was that like going from the Lakers to the Knicks and then to the heat? Did he ever talk about just his experiences or when he was going through that time of the rivalry between the Knicks and the Heat, did he ever mention like 
had to strategize for games against his his former team or was that something that he had to deal with because he had so many relationships in New York and then he came down to Miami I you know I I can only give my version of events sure. right? I can't can't really speak for Pat directly but what I know about Pat is he really mm. thinks on an superior intellectual level like he really does so any of your folks watching this who have seen pat he he when and i always joke i say when you, you never have a conversation if you were to ask pat riley hey what's the weather like today he won't say it's you know sunny with a chance of rain right. he will go on about the deep meaning of the day and the weather and the impact the weather is going to have on the day and then what does that mean for your mindset and it's really, he is like, he is just programmed to, to be inspirational and motivating. And I love that with him. It's not a, it's, and it's not an intimidation thing. It's just Pat is, he is just one of the most brilliant people I've ever met. And I just, to have the opportunity to see him and how he conducted himself behind the scenes through, you know, good times and bad times. Right. Um, you know, and like watching it's easy when the times are good to act a certain way, right? It's it's watching how people handle setbacks and severe setbacks, like when LeBron left us right. in um, 2012, I think it was, or 13. And, you know, watching Pat and how he handled himself. And, you know, you just, it, it it's sort of the Michelle Obama, when they go low, you go high, right? right. <laughs> that's sort of my takeaway um, is, is that's it. Because especially in the sports industry, it goes back to your point about relationships. Sports industry is a small world and all you have is your reputation. Right. So, you know, in those moments, you have to be able to control your emotions in order to manage through that time frame. You know, Pat in particular, because all the other players in the industry, quite honestly, was watching him. And he's just a master at that. And I learned so much. It was like having a master's class or getting my doctorate in leadership right. by being around Pat. I'm just right. fortunate. And it's been, it's been an amazing career. And I'm so, I feel so fortunate about all that I've been able to experience and what's formed me is, you know, it's, it's what has formed me. I'm truly, it's truly the nurture uh, that has created um, a lot of my skill set, And I'm just so thankful for that. Well, that's wonderful. So talk to me about some of the specific roles that you had, you know, in those early years at the Heat. And, you know, you got to see even before the big three with Wade, James and and Bosch. I mean, you had it where, you know, Shaq, you know, he's coming toward, you know, the second half of his career and he's able to with Dwayne Wade and supporting cast are able to win NBA championship. So you got to see, you know, three NBA championships with the Miami Heat. You know, talk to me about, you know, some of your roles um, with the Heat and how you were interacting with, whether it's staff or players or the different coaches. Sure. So it, it, thank you for asking. So with the Heat, so this is my second time with the Heat. Previously, I was here for 23 years and I, I started in the PR department, as I explained, working with Pat and the team. And then um, I just grew with the organization. We became a team that opened um, American Airlines Arena, which is now FTX Arena. And during that time, I just always kept raising my hand because I, I, I love business. I love, uh, I love a challenge. I love making, put, moving things forward. Um, I'm just, a, I'm a, a clearly a type A personality. And uh, so I was always doing different things. So and in that first 23 years, I had nine different jobs with the organization. And in 2006, in particular, <clears throat> the year we had Shaq and Dwayne was the first year we won an NBA title. 
as you mentioned. And I had, in January of that year, 2006, I had been named the general manager for American Airlines Arena. Wow. I didn't have facility operations uh, as a technical background. And when our president um, called me into his office to explain like his vision of the position and why he thought I was good for it, I remember saying to him, like, Eric, this is you know, very thank you for thinking of me, but I don't understand why you think I can run, you know, arena operations. I, it's not a skill set that I have. I don't, you know, I'm not a mechanic. I'm not an engineer. I'm not those. And he stopped me and he said, I'm not hiring you to change the light bulbs. I'm hiring you for your leadership. He said, and I think that's what will make the difference. So I said, yes. And then just absolutely loved that uh, my time in the industry with um, the arena operations, but Little did I know, six months later, we would be hosting, we would win a world championship, the right. first one in our history, and then we would be hosting a championship parade. <laughs> so it was um, quite a whirlwind start for my GM experience, but I loved it and I loved the opportunity. And so then I helped over the next, so that was 2006. I left to join the Warriors in 2019. So for the next 13 years, I added, um, I helped us launch our mobile app. I stood up our business intelligence um, division and did a lot of that. So I was I was the, oh, we, something new's coming. Hey, let's give it to Kim and see if she can get it launched, right? So I enjoyed that. I, again, goes back to, I enjoyed my challenge. And I had also gone back and gotten my MBA um, mm -hmm. because it, it was a nice, now that I was getting into sports business, it was a nice supplement to my um, PR and journalism background, right? So now I could communicate and now I had the, the business, um, knowledge that I, I didn't at a deeper level than I had had. So anyway, that led to in 2019. So I, I'm sort of skipping over the big three era, but it's fast forwarding to Golden State. When I got a phone call about the Warriors were opening their new facility, Chase Center, their first you know home, it was privately financed, pri privately operated in San Francisco. So sure. first time of a building in San Francisco. So there were a lot of things in addition to working for Rick Welts that I was really drew me to that. My family, my dad had lived in the Bay Area when I was in college at Carolina. Wow. Um, and so I would go out in the summers and I was, so I was familiar with the Bay Area. I knew I always wanted to go back to the, if I ever had a chance, I wanted to work out there. So a lot of things led me to come out there. Sure. And we did, we moved with the intention of staying forever. And if it wasn't for COVID, I probably would still be there. But COVID was a big reassessment time. We had no friends and family out there because we had gone out and almost immediately COVID hit. So it was just hard to really right. build a social circle. We felt very isolated. It has nothing to do with the organization. The organization's fantastic. And the ownership from Joe Lacob, um, Rick and, and uh, the team was fantastic. But it's just at some point, I miss my friends and family. I, I'm, I'm an, I know I'm an East Coaster at heart now. Like I don't think right. I ever adjusted to West Coast time. <laughs> so, so all of that to say, that's a very brief uh, summary of my career, but you know, it's it's to say to your audience, you know, your progression in life, be ready for it to be a little bit of a meandering through the woods, sure. so to speak. It doesn't have to be a direct line, and and you're an example of that too, given how you know your career and the the interest you've had. So, right. um, you know, be open, have a growth mindset is my suggestion, and be open and you know engage with people, especially coming out of COVID. We've probably all been a little socially stunted over the last mm -hmm. two years because we haven't, you know, had to flex those um, networking and social skills. But as we get back out there, there's a, a wonderful world with amazing people. Um, yes. Reemerge. 
Yes, absolutely. When you had got to the Warriors, I think I alluded to the fact that, you know, it was their championship seasons. Actually, yeah. they won in 2015, then they got upset by Cleveland in 16, then they won back-to-back in 17-18. So you were in that transition year for two years. Talk to me about, you know, how or what that was like, because now they're, you know, pretty much rebuilding now that Clay Thompson's back. But do you remember, like, what it was like? Obviously, it's, it's recent, but how did the Warriors, you know, adjust? And, you know, what was the sentiment, you know, with, with Clay Thompson being out? And, you know, talk to me about, you know, those, you know, pivotal years that you were the GM of the Chase Center because you, you, you helped guide them into a new era of basketball. And I think that, you know, with your work and leadership, it definitely reflects. Well, I appreciate that. So in 20, when I joined in 2019, I moved out there in May of 2019. So the Warriors made it to the NBA finals, but lost to Toronto. So unfortunately for me, I was, we were four months from opening the new Chase Center. So when I meet, when I got there, I had four months to, to stand up my operations team, get all of our processes and, and everything in order, and then launch the Chase Center successfully, right? There was a lot of pressure to do that. So I didn't get to travel to the, the finals to Toronto, but the organization um, really celebrates their staff and they, they flew everybody out to Toronto. But I stayed behind um, to work on Chase Center because every every second I needed, because um, usually a GM is hired at least 12 months before a building opens. And it wasn't the Warriors' fault. They had they had somebody serving in that position. That person was just had gotten a, a greater opportunity and was leaving. So we had a little transition. So I say all sure. of that because um, it, it was wonderful to lead through that transition. It was a lot of change for the organization. It's a lot of change for any organization right. to go from being a tenant to now in a building, right? And now um, owning and operating and being responsible for every aspect of the facility operations in addition to the team business operations. And so I really enjoyed that. It was an opportunity to create something from scratch and to work with the organization. And, you know, they are an incredibly high performing organization. I mean, I learned so much uh, being out there with the Warriors. It's just a different approach that they have. It's not better or worse than the Heat, those are the Heat and the Warriors are considered two of the best um, in the NBA, especially in business operations. So it was just an uh, opportunity to go out there and learn a different way of doing it. And I was just, I I loved it. I loved the challenge. We did it successfully. And then we only had 79 games and then we were shut down um, because of COVID. We would have had at least, we are on track for 120 um, and we we stopped at 79. (laughs) So, it was, um, and, and the, if there were, if there was one team that, that may have um, potentially had any remote benefit from COVID, it might've been the fact that we were the worst team in the NBA. And I think we had been eliminated from the playoffs and this was what, February. <laughs> so the, we were the worst team in the NBA because if you remember, Clay had gotten injured in those sure. finals. And Kevin left for the Nets, right? And so right. we were really in a rebuilding year. Right. And um, Steph had broken his wrist early in in the fall of 2019, so we didn't have the stars that had been there. Um, so it was sort of that that situation. And then look at what they're doing now. They are they are they are one of the best teams in the NBA, as you expect. Right. That's just the Warriors. That's mm-hmm. the same mentality that he have. Go be the best. 
invest in the team, do the right things and, you know, put a good product on the court. And, and I, they are, they are phenomenal. It, it's great that they're on the West coast. Cause I can cheer for them as my West coast team. Right. And then I can cheer for the heat as my East coast team. And so there aren't really conflicts unless they play each other. And when they do, I cheer, sure. I cheer for the heat. Well, you know, it's interesting because you're right that, you know, when Toronto won the NBA finals first, you know, non-American based team, to win yeah. an NBA finals, but, you know, we have always known about, well, back then when you had the Vancouver Gri Grizzlies and then you had the Toronto Raptors and then Vancouver turned to Memphis and now we've only had one Canadian based team. So to see something special like that, where Canada's NBA team could win a championship and, you know, first yeah. to do that um, in the NBA, not being American, you know, city based. Um, but, you know, you talk about, you know, with the Warriors and Steve Kerr, because he was on those championship years with the Bulls and then, you know, playing, you know, for Greg Popovich. I mean, the Warriors, they're very much similar to a, a San Antonio style, you know, when they had, you know, Tim Duncan and they had, you know, the early championship years with David Robinson, but, you know, with Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, but the Warriors are, I feel like are built like a San, San Antonio Spurs team because every year they're competing and, you know, where the Spurs championships with Tim Duncan were a little bit spread out, that's how the Warriors are. They, they were able to win three. They were able to go to two other NBA finals. So they've won three out of five in, you know, in recent years. But I think they're poised to, I think they're poised to yeah. be back again. So when you think about being back at the Heat, you know, do you see similar uh things where the Heat are trying to, you know, uh, compete because now we're like years you know, removed from the big three when they had Wade, uh, Bosch and James. So how do you feel about being back with the heat? And, you know, how is it different prior to leaving for the Warriors? The heat, um, so the heat and Warriors get compared quite a bit um, because of just the, the uh, commitment to putting a winning product on the floor every year. So for us, you know, the heat here this year, the acquisition of Kyle Lowry in the offseason, right. the development of Tyler Hero, um, a lot of these, Bam Adebayo was a second round pick and, or no, maybe it was first round, I don't remember, but how, you know, he was a, on the Olympic team, he was an all-star last year. So this, the heat have an incredible ability to develop players um, and then to compliment, go out and find people like a Kyle Lowry to join our team. So, you know, we're in the thick of it here in the East. And what's interesting is the different approaches by the organizations on the basketball side, right? Here, it's, um, it's, a, it's, it's an organization that believes like in a little more of an insular culture and um, Pat's, Pat's uh, impression on the organization is, is tremendous. I mean, he set the culture, he's been here it's, and it's been amazing. We have this commitment to hard work doing things the right way, a commitment to defense, a commitment to teamwork, um, and that. So that's the sort of the hallmarks here. And Pat's, uh, Pat's fingerprint is solidly on that. And then you go out to Golden State, and Steve, very much as you explained, you know, uh, he is an amazing coach in his own right. And out there, they are incredibly collaborative. So there, the general manager meets with the team business side. So they believe in... Um, there was a motto they had, strength in numbers. That's what they yeah. call it, strength in numbers, because they believe everybody together, right? And that's just a different approach. And listen, both work, right? It's a, it's a, the reality is the difference is that there, the, the common thread is there's a commitment from ownership to always have a championship team. And then you put in place coaches that you believe in and you let, you don't micromanage them, you let them be successful. 
And then you also are willing to get in the mix to get the talent and you have innovative um, coaching staff that evolves with the times and also can you know produce a product on the floor right. that is made for the modern NBA. Because the NBA back when Pat was coaching versus right. the NBA that Spo right. is coaching now, very different NBA, very different player mentality, very different approach to the game data analytics. So it's been, it's amazing. And I, I give both organizations right. tremendous kudos. And, and the NBA is built on so much diversity, you know, yes. with people yes. from all walks of life. And, you know, as a female, you know, who, you know, has, you know, broken barriers, because now you're seeing like female coaches in the NFL, you're seeing a lot of interesting, interesting um, developments. So, you know, just talk about, you know, your role as a female and, and being able to, you know, really uh, make an impact because, you know, diversity is showed. It doesn't matter, you know, who you are or where you come from and, and just, you know, who you are as a, as a person that you're able to contribute just like everybody else. And I, I love the idea that, you know, and you see with the WNBA too, and that was a major breakthrough in the nineties to have a women's professional basketball, um, you know, association. So just talk to me about those aspects. That's really yeah. Right. I appreciate you, you know, acknowledging it. And, it. and it really does come from the league headquarters, right? And it comes from our ownership too. There's a commitment to diversity that when um, COVID hit and the George Floyd uh, murders happened, mm -hmm. this organization uh, put out a, a video that's called the pledge. And it talks about, you know, things that are and aren't acceptable. And so we now, it's part of who we are. It always has been a belief in diversity, equity, and inclusion has always been something that this organization did before the, before it was called diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's just a belief from the ownership down and it percolates through our, our org. And so I say that because as I was young and coming up through the sports world, it didn't matter if you were a woman or you had any other, you know, minority indicators, so to speak, you, you, everybody was given equal opportunity to be successful. And, and it was, um, it was a nurturing environment, not a competitive environment. And so we helped one another. And so it was, I've never felt like I was discriminated against. Like I, I didn't. And that was, that was wonderful because I just never felt like there was a ceiling put on me. I recognize now having talked to a lot of other people, that's not everybody's story. Um, you know, if you're, if you've been in the industry, as long as I have, you probably might not have the same sort of story and good fortune that I did to land with an ownership group like this. So so the culture matters and it matters not just what they say, it matters how they act and behave. And, you know, that's been, so I've never felt limited and I've always felt supported. And, and then you let your work speak for itself. You know, it's, it's never about me, Garrett, the way I lead. It's always about helping my staff to be the best that they can be. And then as a byproduct of that, the success you have as a team, the, people look at the leader and it ends up being that you're sitting in that chair, right? It's not- right. That's sort of how, for me, it works. I'm, I'm not a power-focused kind of leader. I, I believe more in knowing everybody's name, understanding what motivates them, and then adjusting my leadership style to get the most out of them. Some people need recognition. Other people you know, need you know, praise. And other, there's just different ways to motivate. So I've always been flexible. I've been fortunate in my career. Um, but what I love, Garrett, is like there's a... There, the corporate world, the broader general industry has for the longest time also been like the Miami Heat where it just didn't matter. Like it's just, it's not as big of a deal. It does matter in some areas, but 
you know, diversity, equity, inclusion is something the corporate world, I think, embraced long before the sports world. What I'm happy to say now is I do see the sports world, you know, starting to embrace that. You mentioned the WNBA. There's women. Um, uh, Gretchen Shear at Houston was named the president this, this summer. Very deserving. Uh, Jamie Faulkner is the Chicago Blackhawks uh, president. Very incredibly deserving. Cynthia Marshall, um, St. Marshall in Dallas. So I can point to a number of people because I think and you mentioned a lot of the women that are now coaches and in the basketball operations. So it's starting to become more common. Um, and I'm just thrilled to see that. And if I can help people achieve that, I'm just happy to help because somebody helped me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's great because, you know, inclusion is so important. Diversity is so important. It's not just, you know, what people can, you know, physically see about a person. It's about their, you know, their mental strength. It's like their wisdom, their knowledge that they can share from different experiences working at different places. And, you know, there's a, there are a lot of followers, but, you know, followers eventually become leaders. And, you know, you never stop, you know, you never stop being a follower, so to speak. But it depends on, you know, is that following, uh, you know, genuine or is it specific to then grow into a leader? Because you don't want people on a team to be following for the wrong reasons. If if the message at the top is consistent, it's genuine, it's, you know, specific to, you know, doing well and, and making a difference at the organization and making people feel like, you know, they're included and they're involved and I think it's so important that people understand that you can learn from everybody, but that, you know, we have seen, you know, outside of sports about things that are happening, you know, in our government or just things in the public policy realm or just, you know, current events that are happening daily. And I think that the NBA and the sports world in general has responded so well to make sure that, you know, we are a nation of, you know, diversity and we're a nation of people who have different thoughts, different feelings, different ideas, you know, different, you know, backgrounds and skill sets. And, you know, to make an organization truly successful, you have to embrace all that as long as it's, you know, with the best of intention. So I think that, you know, whether it's you or me or anybody, you know, we all have a role to play in our professions and the organizations we work with and the people who we call a team. And that's why, you know, this relationship building and team environment podcast, I think speaks to that. Oh, absolutely. And I think sharing, just getting the insights that you're getting from all of the leaders you've had on here is, is uh, wonderful. It's such a resource because there's not one way to success. There's numerous ways to success. And so the key is making sure as you're a young leader, or even as you're, you know, my age, as you said, well, like we, the world is evolving. The people are evolving. You know, uh, two years ago, we wouldn't even have thought about having a hybrid work environment. And now here we are in the right. snack in the middle of it. So you have to always be leveling up your skills, I think, um, in order to remain relevant uh, because the world changes so fast. And the other thing you have to be willing to do is sit down and have those uncomfortable conversations that you're saying, you know, we are a world, you know, we tend to be a world divided, or that's at least some of the narrative that you hear these days. And it is, it is much easier to say something and, and then walk away or say something on social media and be dis divisive. The more the leader sits in and has the conversation sits down and tries to understand, have common ground. And those are not easy conversations to have and they're delicate. And I think um, it's not an easy easy 
path forward, it's very hard, but it's what this time calls for. When we headed into COVID, we had some conversations at the Warriors and we talked about how coming out of COVID, it was gonna take a different leader um, and it, and here, here we are, and it does. It takes a leader who understands the hybrid work environment. It takes a leader who understands the new needs. The war for talent now is great. So, you know, it's all of these things. We're still promoting sports. I'm still selling right. tickets, right? At the end of right. the day, is what I'm doing, but how we do it and the way we attract talent is vastly changing. So it's exciting. I, I enjoy it. And I think sports, you know, Pat Riley once said, sports is the toy department of life. And I think that sums it up well. You know, we, I try not to take myself too seriously over the course of the of a day, but um, it, it's been a wonderful career. I'm not 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 saying I'm ending anytime soon, but I, I get these opportunities to reflect and I enjoy it. And I enjoy um, mentoring young folks too. I think that's right. important to help them because somebody did it for me. So I like to pay it back. What and you talk about mentoring, you know, young um, younger people. Um, you know, what is your favorite aspect of your job or maybe you have a couple i mean do any of the aspects of your job or previous roles with the heat and then obviously with the warriors and you talk about university of miami and you know even you can reflect on your carolina days too um but how you've evolved you know in your professional career you know and i and i think about my life too how my career has evolved as well and it's still evolving you know, are, what interests or what aspects of your job, you know, do you really say, you know what, if anything else, this alone, you know, gets me through the day, you know, I, I feel there's a purpose, I feel like I have the passion to do this, I'm making an impact, you know, what are some of those aspects? Sure, I appreciate you asking. So in my new role, it's a new role for the organization. So I mentioned a few times that I really like a challenge uh, right. in an organization. And so I've got two nice challenges before me. One is this human capital um, department. I've got some amazing people that I work with. I like the title. Yeah, thanks. Well, and, and it conveys a lot more, right? It is, it, it's, it's a center, centralization, centralizing our human resources, our DE&I, and our um, training and development into one group so that we can get those leverage those synergies of people as our human asset, right? And what a great time to form something like this in the middle of the great recession or resignation, I'm sorry. Um, so there's real challenge in the workplace. There's a real challenge. Our cultures have been disrupted by the introduction of COVID, especially for us in the sports world, because we were so used to being in person and how do we replicate that now? And how do we use these virtual tools? So I love a challenge. So that's number one. I'm enjoying that a lot. And then the special projects component of my job is overseeing the renovations for the building over the next five years. It's, it's more than a hundred million dollars wow. and just getting that all organized. And that leans on my construction experience from Chase Center and my opportunities and or experience in um, arena operation. So it's really two very different, um, you know, aspects of a, of a position, but I love it. If you, if those who know me know, I love a challenge and I, right. I love solving it and, and bringing everybody along with me too. It's not about me. It's not about my ego. It's about what's best for the uh, organization. Um, and I, I've been so fortunate to work some, for some great organizations and, and some great leaders. And that's what I value every day is the opportunity to interact with them quite honestly. Well, you know, that's, that's great because I mean, you talk about a challenge and, you know, you're up for that challenge. And, you know, when you're in an environment like the one you're in, I mean, every day there's something new to learn and to embrace and, and to, you know, equips you to, you know, advance and to, uh, you know, be better at your job every day. And, you, you know, 
talk to me about, you know, because I read in the news that, you know, recently that back in September, I mean, you had 4.4 million people quit their jobs in America. And then last month in October, we had 531,000 new jobs created. So I know that the sports, you know, element or like the sports profession might be a very um, small micro, you know, microcosm aspect, if you will, of, of those statistics. I mean, those are just like statistics that you read, but you don't know how that's really broken down unless you really study that. But are you seeing where, you know, in the time that you were, that you've been back at the heat where some people, you know, are either leaving to go to another job or they're just, you know, moving into another position or how has that changed? Like from a hiring perspective, I mean, are you seeing some of those trends? And when you talk about a challenge and wanting to, you know, relationship build and really groom people to, you know, really be good at their jobs, you want to be able to have that retention. So is that one of the things that, you know, the heat is addressed about retention because of the great resignation? So that's a really good question. Yeah, we've seen all of the above. So, you know, a little context um, for the sports industry is helpful, which is there there was always what I affectionately refer to as a sports discount, right? Like you could, in theory, um, pay people a little bit less for the glamour of working for a sports team, right? What I've seen, my this is just my anecdotal opinion, it's not based in science, is um, we have positions here at our organization that are have skill sets that are transferable across industries. So HR, accounting, you know, technology, you know, data science, business intelligence, you know, those are very transferable across whether you're selling, you know, consumer goods or whatever you're doing, right? Or, or technology. So I have seen technology. The war for talent is is real. And I have seen technology companies come in and and really offer substantial benefits and substantial salaries to people who tend to be in those areas because they need the talent, especially here in Miami. A lot of technology companies are are starting to put um, set up some either regional or headquarters here. And so they're looking for talent. And so that where we'll just come get them from us. Right. (laughs) So so it's been that's been a real challenge. We have felt that. So we have had to quickly pivot to, you know, make sure we are doing our best to counter and counter what those offerings are. You know, we can't do you know, we're not going to suddenly do some crazy benefits that might be offered by others. But we know we still have a healthy culture. You get heat tickets. There are things still about being here that um, are part of our, you know, are, are different that, that allow us to be different from other um, competitors. So the war on talent is real. It is hitting the sports industry, I think, a little bit harder because mm-hmm. we are the last to come back. Um, again, most other industries pivoted and, and um, were still up and running and still making the profits that they were. If we don't have guests, we don't have revenues, right? right. So we were hurt by that pretty severely. And so it, you know, it, it you know, put a damper on some of our resources to come out raring again. But we have done and we continue to work on trying to recruit people and make sure we have the best. We're not just trying to rush back and get anybody. We want to be very intentional still about who we bring in because we want to bring that talent. We want to invest in them. So we we've had we had Facebook come after a couple of our employees, and you know, there's been there's it's the reality of the it's truly a war um but we we're winning more than we're losing and we're we're happy with where we're headed and it's uh again because i love a challenge 
Um, I'm, I'm also very grateful for the MBA. The MBA is a resource for all of us. So there are some amazing folks at the MBA headquarters that are helping us um, understand and adopt some best practices immediately. We have weekly HR calls with other uh, HR and uh, chief people officers, and we're strategizing and sharing best practices that we can immediately come back and adopt. And that rapid sharing of best practices is helping us. But I think my impression is that technology companies are the new sports um, in terms of the, 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 the wanting to work for somebody, it, at least here in Miami, because they are the shiny new industry that's sprouting up here. Um, so it's just every, you know, these are probably regional based um, issues that are happening, but that's what we're seeing. So it's real. It's hard. And if anybody out there is looking for a job, please go to heat.com <laughs> and look at our at our job openings because we have some pretty good ones from directors down to coordinators. And we've got 38 of them right now, full-time jobs. That, that's great. That's great. You Thanks know, for letting and, me do that plug. <laughs> yeah, I, I, absolutely. And, you know, um, I'm just so happy to talk to you because, you know, I believe in, you know, six degrees of separation or less. You know, you think about, I just had, you know, Del Harris and his uh, son, Larry Harris, and you work with Larry Harris being the, he's the assistant GM of the Warriors and director of player personnel. You mentioned Alonzo Mourning, and I had the pleasure of, you know, meeting him and Michael Jordan and Carmel Anthony at a golf tournament with my father back in 2005. So it's so cool that, you know, you can meet, you know, professional athletes or have professional coaches on your podcast or have executives like yourself and everybody is, as you talk about it, it's a small world. It's all about relationship building and networking and the business development aspects too, that everybody have, has, has crossed paths or have crossed paths rather. And so I, I think it's just remarkable to have these opportunities to speak with people like yourself who are so accomplished and successful what you do and have made such an impact on people's lives. And, you know, I, I see a lot of parallels with the people I've been interviewing uh, on my podcast, you know, and, and so I, I'm able to reference, you know, previous guests because they've actually, you know, worked with them or have met them at one time or another. So that's really cool about the relationship building aspect. Yes, 100%. And, you know, I've, I've it's my, I think I'm in my third decade um, in the sports industry. And really, at the end of the day, all you have is your reputation. You know, I mean, you, you do. And so, you know, that was something ingrained in me when I was young by my mom um, about, you know, you, you have to be careful um, about that and uh, intentional about it and treat people the way you want to be treated. If you have that simple rule, I think, it, you know, even in the hardest of times when, you know, people aren't perhaps, you know, you it just isn't, isn't um, a good situation for you. Maybe it's really challenging for you, especially like when you're younger in your career and you don't have as much of a perspective um, you can get into the drama sometimes, or you can get involved in something and take a side that's maybe not right. And I'm not saying don't engage. What I'm saying is make sure that, you know, you're just, you're, you're, you understand, like play the long game. Don't, don't necessarily, that's what I learned from Pat, play the long game. Right. Don't necessarily react in the moment. As a matter of fact, if you have strong emotional reactions, it's probably best to either breathe five times and then speak, or maybe it's best to ask to, you know, reconvene the meeting at a later time, you know, just because you, you'll come back with a fresh perspective. And that, that those are tough, because as you ascend the ladder, as I know, I'm sure you have in your, 
in your job, you probably often have clients that maybe it's a, it's a, it can make for tough situations and you have right. to be able to handle yourselves and something, you know, when you are a leader, people watch you, they emulate you. And if you're an emotional leader that goes on a tyrant, you know, that that's starting to wear off and people aren't fond of that anymore. Um, right. That's not a way that, that the yelling, the images of a coach yelling and screaming and cursing out an athlete, those don't work anymore in the sports world. It was okay when I first entered, you know, many, many, many years ago. Sure. It's, it's not the way it is now. So, you know, conduct yourself at all times at the great utmost professional level. And, you know, just I, there's my mom always taught me, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Like, right. Well, my mom always <laughs> said the same thing too. Did she? Yeah. Moms, <laughs> must I be think that moms, North Carolina upbringing. Exactly. I think moms have very similar messages. Absolutely. <laughs> um, now I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, you, you referenced your father and your, your mom. Do you have any siblings? I do. I do. I have uh, my older sister went to Carolina. She's actually one of the reasons I ended up uh, going to Carolina. And then I have a younger brother and a younger sister. Um, and my younger sister's in Seattle. My younger brother's in New York. I'm in Miami. And my middle sister is in um, outside of Cincinnati. So wow. we, we were spread out, but we still were very close, very close. And we always get together for Thanksgiving. So we we're enjoy a family feast during that time. It's great. Well, it's great. Well, it's great you? because next week is Thanksgiving. So there's a lot of relationship building, you know, yes. amongst your family. And uh, yeah, I have an older sister in New York. Uh, my parents are here in the Orlando area nearby. You know, my, my wife and I, we, we live, you know, in, in Orlando suburbs as well. And uh, she has her family here too. We're originally from the New York area, both sides of the family, Northern Jersey. So have some family in California. Uh, have, uh, sh my wife has some family in Georgia, South Florida. We do have family in South Florida. So uh, I was just in Miami uh, about a few weeks ago. Uh, so I, you know, it's a great city and has such great culture. And it's so great that you work for such a, you know, professional, you know, top-notch organization, just like every other, you know, franchise in, in, in the NBA, because the, the common messages, and you see it in the marketing all the time, NBA cares. And, yeah. you know, the, and I talked, you know, in my previous guests, I talked about like the global sport of how it's become a global sport and that how it's embraced a lot of different people from Asia and Africa, and you know Europe and you know I just love how the NBA is such a global game mm -hmm. I, I love that aspect um if you could you know give one final message about relationship building before we uh, depart from our interview what would your final message be you know a great question Garrett and you know thank you I really appreciate that appreciated this opportunity I think for me coming out of COVID it's being mindful that of the skills that you had pre-COVID of how to really have those um, relationships that make connections that are meaningful, right? I think we've all probably um, forgotten how to flex some of that muscle and just remember that, you know, that's a key coming out of this is, is we've all we've all been just maybe talking to our families and, and our work workers for the last, you know, 18, 20 months. So, you know, remember that and just remember to be kind right? Kindness goes a long way. And just, um, I, I really think those are the things that I, I try to keep in mind as we come out of this. So, you know, listen, the other thing I want to tell you, since you're in Orlando, next time you're in Miami, let me know if there's a game, let's, let's connect. Absolutely. No, no, right. definitely. I, I definitely will let you know the next time in Miami, uh, for sure. Um, thank you so much for saying that. I really appreciate that. Uh, yes. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely connect 
grab right. a cup of coffee and, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, see a game. Uh, Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, you know, Kim, you know, very much a pleasure having you on my podcast today with, for the Wave Capitals guest speaker series on relationship building in a team environment. And I want to thank you again for all of your words of wisdom and insight and knowledge thank and experience you. on relationship building. And I wish you a wonderful, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Thank you. Thank you. Same to you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.